welcome back to Presidential Podcast. This is Philip. And this is Robert. And we're on part two of Eisenhower. We started off with his um, youth and his experience at West Point. Last episode, we talked about him being under MacArthur after World War One, And then Marshall in the 30s and led up to the... Uh, we covered the invasion of North Africa and the beginning of World War II and how he kind of gained the confidence of the Allied leadership and they put him in charge of the invasion into Normandy for um, which was pretty much the decisive American invasion I think in World War II so that's where we are now um do you want to begin there? So the um, planned Operation Overlord uh, was a huge endeavor. Overlord landed something like two and a quarter million men in northern France uh, without disembarkation points. I mean, they had to build the floating docks and everything uh, to unload the ships. In the face of German resistance, two and a quarter million men landed from the beginning of June when Overlord happened to the beginning of August. Uh, this is by far the largest amphibious operation undertaken it's one of the biggest invasions undertaken. I mean, in the Second World War, probably second only to Operation Barbarossa in terms of the number of men moved in a single operation. It was Barbarossa? The invasion of Russia. By the Germans? Yeah. When the Germans invaded France, it was also very big, but that had different phases and different sectors of front. So... Uh, None of them were as big as uh, as big as uh, Operation Overlord, and they probably don't compare to Overlord in complexity, because along with the amphibious part, we think of the sea uh, land <laughs> coordination, but uh, Operation Barbarossa also had a significant air. Uh, component. What, what, what was the Germans' knowledge beforehand of Operation uh, Overlord? Well, that's an interesting question because it was. It seems pretty clear that the Germans anticipated an invasion, and they were trying to prepare themselves as well as they could for the invasion. And there was a. a an operation of deep deception that was carried out in England which engaged General Patton. Uh, they gave him a fake command and he moved a lot of men and a lot of things around England uh, to make it look as if the invasion was going to land in Calais, which is 40 miles or so <laughs> from the English coast. Um, we actually landed at Normandy which is where the Norman invasion took off from, about three times the distance, but 
with better beaches and probably better sea conditions for such Is a big adventure. Is it to the southwest of Calais? It's northeast. Northeast, okay. So uh, Calais is southwest of okay. Normandy. Uh, so the, the, the air component uh, took thousands of aircraft. Uh, maybe as many as 4,000 Allied aircraft were lost in preparation. Uh, over 200,000 Allied casualties in the four days of the D-Day invasion and the subsequent operations of breaking out of Normandy and getting to where the Allied armies could move across France. Uh, apparently the Wehrmacht suffered fewer casualties, but still somewhere between 180,000 and 200,000. So half a million men uh, wounded, killed, uh, disappeared forever. Uh, a, a massive undertaking. These men had to be fed. They had to have all different types of weapons. Uh, they had tanks, what they said, swimming ashore. They would put some kind of propeller on them, and the motor would run the propeller and push the tank ashore. Um, the landing craft were like big metal boxes with wheels on them, which presumably were supposed to drive up onto the beach, and the front door, the whole front of the craft was supposed to drop down, and the men would run out and assault the uh, entrenched Germans on the beach. If you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, they mention that the Germans all along the northwest coast of France had pillboxes, which are cement fortresses shaped like a square, hence the name pillbox. Pillboxes with machine gun emplacements, and they had uh, pre-sighted the ranges, so they had markers, so they knew exactly how to tilt their machine guns to fire and get the range at each position moving up the beach towards the pillboxes. Were the Germans under fortified in that area? The uh, historical uh, knock on the Germans' defense, Hitler made a big thing out of the Festung Europa, the Fortress Europe. Uh, the big knock is that they had mobile forces, uh, but their their defenses were essentially very thin. They were eggshell thin, it typically is the way they're characterized. So if the Allies could overcome the first wave of German defenses, it was unlikely that the mobile forces would be able to reach them and reinforce them and throw back the Allied force. But to cover a whole long coastline, it, it's going to be Right, it couldn't thin. be done. It couldn't be done. So this was why the deception operation was so important, because the German mobile force was at Calais. 
about 40 or 50 miles away. And if the German mobile force had been at Normandy, would it have would it have stopped? If the German mobile force had been in, at Normandy, I mean, one of Eisenhower's fears going into the battle was that the flower of American manhood, as he put it, would have been uh, killed on the beach. Extinguished on the beach. I mean, quarter of a million men, 10% of the force was killed or wounded, as it was, without encountering the mobile force until... How many German men were sitting in defense on those beaches? They probably had three-quarters of a million. Oh, they had a lot. No, I mean just in Normandy. Just in Normandy, probably 15, 20% of those. Okay. Um, All right, so why is... Why did they choose to have Penn as the decoy? Why did they make Eisenhower the leader? Well, Patton apparently had a reputation among the Germans of being a very aggressive, very competent general. So uh, having him in charge of, a, of an assault force would make the Germans believe that it was the real thing. And what? And what? How did they view Eisenhower? They didn't really have a high regard for Eisenhower. Uh, they probably viewed him as a, pretty much of a bureaucrat, not somebody who they particularly were concerned about. Uh, Eisenhower, I mean, again, he was very low-key. He wore very few decorations on his uniform. I mean, he didn't have all that many. So, But he wasn't one... To put him on, I guess he figured, you know, I don't have that many, I'm not going to put him on. He had those five stars, which made up for a lot of decorations. Right. Uh, his uniforms tended to be very plain. He invented the so-called Ike jacket, which is a coat that comes down to your waist, to the top of the belt, the way they wore it. You know, the high, the high pants way that they used to wear their pants back then. Um, had double-breasted lapels, but then it didn't have the flaps that go down over your butt. Um, so it, it was it was kind of a dashing-looking uniform, but not fancy like Patton liked to wear. Did they put Eisenhower in charge of Patton because he's more depend over Patton because he's more dependable? Well, Eisenhower was in charge. I mean, he was the supreme commander. He's in charge over everybody: Patton, Montgomery. Uh, Bradley, all of them were uh, Hodges, all of them were Eisenhower's subordinates. Right, but why? Why they make that? Why they move them like that? Was it as, as I said? It was more his political skills. It was more his ability to uh, establish rapport with those different leaders, manage them, keep them from getting in each other's hair, keep the rivalries between them. At bay. Pretty much at bay. And Patton wouldn't, be, Patton wouldn't really necessarily be able to do that. Patton uh, would have exacerbated the inter-service rivalries, the inter-national uh, rivalries between the British. Patton had, had an extraordinary rivalry with General Montgomery, Field Marshal Montgomery. Um, they apparently weren't fond of each other. Uh, they were jealous of each other. They, they, they would have clashed. I mean, it would have uh, resulted in logistical 
and operational nightmares. What was Patton's relationship with Eisenhower like? Uh, Patton was a good officer. He was an extremely intelligent man. He studied hard. He had a personal library, which was one of the largest collections of books among any officer that ever served in the U.S. Army. They were all carefully annotated in his hand in the margin notes. Uh, and he did his duty. I mean, Eisenhower was his superior. He did his duty. So Eisenhower never really has any, like feelings of frustration with Patton going off at the handle, flying off at the handle? Uh, military officers at that level can't let their emotions dictate their decisions. I mean, obviously emotions are part of the decisions, but they really have to understand what emotions they have. They can't hold grudges. They can't engage in personal vendettas. They can't uh, have favorites, and they have to be very even-handed. Uh, you know, a lot of times in, in, in combat or in combat command, you have to ask your friends to do really bad things, you know, things that they might not survive. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't let it go around that you send someone you dislike into those kinds of situations mm -hmm. all the time, you lose the trust of the men. Mm -hmm. So uh, dealing with Patton is a, is a real command difficulty because he was a very aggressive general. Uh, his men would come under fire, go into danger a lot mm -hmm. because they have such an aggressive commander. So Eisenhower probably had to pull him back more than push him forward. Uh, because he can't have everybody think I'm in Patton's unit, I'm going to get killed. Did Pat, were Patton's men, uh, did they admire him? Were they loyal to him? Did they dislike him? I don't think GIs like generals who are real aggressive. You know, I mean, you want to live through the war. Uh, Bradley was the clear soldier favorite. I mean, he was considered the GI general because he understood the difficulties of combat. He got close to it. He got shelled. He got shot at. He ate what they ate. He slept where they slept. Uh, they trusted him way more than they trusted some other commanders like Patton. But they probably thought, you know, Patton's going Patton's to get us, get us through this quicker because he is going to beat the Germans. Mm -hmm. And the... Allied soldiers disliked the Germans. I mean, there was real hatred toward the Germans and the Allied armies. Just just the SS or the all the way down? No, all the way down. I mean, they hated the Germans. Hmm. You know, they were the ones who started the war. They were the ones who were threatening us. They were the ones who were arrogantly goose-stepping around and subjugating the other peoples of Europe. I mean... We were going to get them. We were going to go back and make them pay for it. All right. So go forward into into after this invasion, the how Eisenhower finishes up the uh, war and then into the occupation. So Eisenhower wrote a book called The Crusade in, uh, in Europe about his experiences as the Supreme Commander. And 
he wrote about why he made the decisions he made. He wrote about the Germans. I mean, whenever he discusses the Germans, he refers to them as the German. You know, the German did this. The German did that. Um, so we, we have a pretty fair estimation of Eisenhower's thinking. And the way he puts it, and pretty much the way people who have studied him put it, he, he, was, he was pretty direct. I mean, it was logistics. It was putting enough rifles on the front. Eisenhower had a tremendous appreciation of air power. He realized the uh, decisive nature that tactical air support would bring into a battlefield situation. He exploited it to the maximum possible potentiality. Uh, Montgomery, because of his prestige as the commander of the British victory at El Alamein, because he was the second-in-command, because he was the operational chief. Montgomery wanted to uh, take Antwerp and move on into Germany and wanted to launch an operation called Operation Market Basket in which the British Army would take on the main force of the German Army with the American support, defeat them, and the Germans just whipped them. Uh, the effort left Britain bankrupt, their army defeated and demoralized, and Eisenhower had to figure out how to rescue the British army. This was after the Normandy invasion. Yeah. And it was, this was for like in the British fall. prestige? Huh? It was for British prestige? Yeah. Okay. And uh, managed to cobble something together to get out of the jam and to continue the march towards the Rhine. Uh, it was in the fall. In the winter, the Germans struck back. Hitler pulled some of his crack divisions, including his uh, the Hitler bodyguard unit of the SS off the Russian front, brought him back to Belgium, put him into the Ardennes, pushed back at the Americans in the famous Battle of the Bulge. Uh, didn't really make a dent. I mean, it was a horrible waste of men on both sides. Didn't really make a dent. I mean, there was that bulge in the line, but within 10 days when the weather cleared and we get aircraft off the ground and Patton reinforced Hodge and the British uh, stiffened, they were able to repel the, uh, repel the attack and we entered Germany. Where, this was at the line of France and Germany? This was in Belgium. Belgium, okay. We entered Germany near a city called Aachen, which had been Charlemagne's capital when Charlemagne was living. His, his crypt is there, presumably his body is in the crypt. Um, when they entered Aachen, the Germans fought with a ferocity rivaling that of the Japanese troops in the Pacific, you know, the legends are that some of those Japanese troops didn't surrender until like the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And the Germans met the Americans in Aachen, the first battle on German soil, 
with the same kind of ferocity. Uh, there was house-to-house fighting, which was extraordinarily dangerous and time-consuming. And the Americans came up with the uh, idea that if they took their anti-aircraft cannons, which were fairly big bore weapons but light, and lowered them down to a flat projector, flat trajectory, so that basically the gun barrel was horizontal, and they shot it at a building. They could demolish the building and drive out the German defenders, and basically they destroyed Aachen. In that manner, they captured a bridge at a place called Remagen, crossed the Rhine, and by May, Germany had surrendered. And that when did the Battle of Aachen happen? Probably late March and April. I mean, it didn't take long once we once we pierced Germany. To, you know, the Russians were coming from the east. How long did it take to get? When, when did U.S. enter Berlin? Uh, we didn't. The Russians did. Okay, but we got. We later got a part of. Berlin. We got Prague. But we got ended which up is in farther east. West. We ended up getting a quarter of Berlin. Well, that was in the occupation. That's um, Eisenhower in the Crusade for Europe relates a story where he and a couple of the other major officers, I don't, I don't recall exactly which ones, but um, they had an informant who took them to some mountain and they went into this cave and they discovered that one of the German bigwigs, I believe was Goering, had been storing all sorts of looted art treasures. Mm in this cave. Uh, they also discovered the, the death camps and they made a movie about it, which, you know, if you watch the movie, it's a, it's a horrible experience even to watch the movie, even as a movie 75, 78, whatever it is now, years later, 73 years later, it's still just as, as, as revolting. And probably the first 15 minutes of the movie are certifications that this is a U.S. Army film. Mm -hmm. It's real. It's not staged. It's verifiable. It's documented. I mean, they just spent a lot of time explaining to the viewer that this is real film footage Mm -hmm. and that it was taken at these death camps. And then they go and they show you these starved prisoners, you know, staggering around from weakness, from hunger. Are you adding that about the certifications because of the deni- Holocaust deniers? Just in general, I mean, people deny the moonshot. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, but, but, but more, I think, I think the, the U.S. government at the time was more concerned about the vast exaggeration of atrocity stories told about the Germans and the Japanese. I mean, it's not to say that the atrocities they committed weren't horrific, but even with uh, a certifiable, uh, well-documented atrocity, like the rape of Nanking, where the Japanese apparently raped something like 90,000 women over Mm -hmm. a weekend, the staggering inhumanity of the Holocaust death camps is 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 still just I mean it's just such a, a new low mm-hmm. in in inhumanity and cruelty mm-hmm. that uh, 
you know, they had they had to say this is really something. This is not something that we're making up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that's more. Aren't those more in Poland? Well, they were they were mostly in Poland. But they, um, but this, I think, a couple of them were in Silesia. Allied armies coming from the west. Well, we got to Prague. Okay. And you know, uh, but now what I mean when you say Poland, you know, you're not necessarily thinking of the general government. You know, you're thinking of modern Poland, because a lot of them were like in Silesia, which at that time was part of Germany. Yeah, but Berlin, Prussia is west of Silesia. So if we didn't get to Prussia, how do we get to Silesia? Well, we got we got to Bohemia, Moravia, Silesia. I mean, the Russians the Russians came across the Northern European plain, and if you're looking at a map, north is the top. Uh, we went south of them. We went kind of under them, and you know, if you think of so a, a, we went around Berlin. We went under it. Okay. Okay. The Russians came across the top of Warsaw, Berlin, Axis. And we met, we met more of an Aachen, Nuremberg, Prague kind of an axis. Okay. Um, all right. So the war finishes up. Not, uh, Nazis surrender. What, what, what happens now for Eisenhower? So, so now we're looking at uh, just, just complete shambles in, in Europe. I mean, the, the, the devastation of the war... You know, like I mentioned, you know, Aachen, they just blasted all the buildings down with these cannons. Uh, During the war, they had been bombing Germany pretty severely. Uh, As as they conquered these different cities, as they liberated, as the term that Eisenhower uses in the crusade in Europe. Is Eisenhower moving with the army or is he back in headquarters? He's, he's, he's coming along. So, but he doesn't play in combat, you said. Well, I think he was mostly in Paris because he had so much, uh, correspondence and, you know, so many cables and everything he had to deal with. So it doesn't count as combat because his army's ahead. The line is ahead of where he is. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Between the battles, between the bombing, uh, probably the lack of maintenance and everything for all this period, the large number of German soldiers who had been released from the service, who were just wandering around the countryside, the, the, the place was a mess. You know, and, and Germany surrendered in May. We knew winter was coming. November, December, things would be cold and dreary. And so many of the buildings were destroyed. So many buildings had no roofs. Uh, We see these pictures of these European streets where the building facades are still up, but the side walls, the back walls are all down. Uh, No sanitation facilities, no way to move food, no way to move fuels, no work for the people. Uh, their clothing was destroyed when their apartments were bombed. So millions and millions of refugees, millions and millions of people in their homes with no heat, no windows, no roofs, no food, no money. Uh, 
so we basically had to take care of them, you know, and, and there's the, uh, the memory that a lot of the Germans who lived through that have, that the Americans brought them food in, in garbage cans. Back then they had these uh, wrought iron garbage cans. They had uh, baffles in the garbage can for strength, uh, to keep them fairly light. And they didn't have anything, you know, I mean, they're feeding a whole block of people. And they didn't have anything to put it, so they just, it was clean garbage cans. But they just sort of food in a garbage can. And then one guy would grab one side, you know, they had handles on the sides of it. One guy would grab the handle on one side, the other guy grabbed the handle on the other side. And they towed it over to where the people were, and then they just dish it out of the garbage can. Like porridge or something. Well, more like stew or, stew or hash or something like that. And uh, the Germans, even though they were starving, they still resented being fed out of garbage cans. Well. It's better than starving. Yeah, it's better than starving. And, you know, we, you know, I mean, you talk to people who can remember that. And, I mean, even the people who would have been relatively young children... When that happened nowadays, they'd be in their 80s, you know, but th those, those memories are seared in. I mean, they just, it was just a horrific period in, in European history. The, uh, Does Eisen, is Eisenhower empathetic of it? What is his feeling about it? Is he well, you've got to feed these Germans? people. I mean, he was, he was not He's in more charge. pragmatic. Of, he was not in charge of the occupation. General called Lucius Clay was in charge of the occupation. So Eisenhower had to give Clay... Power. The, yeah, the authority. The baton. To, to, to handle that. Now, Marshall is also a, bit, a big player in the occupation. What, what is Eisenhower's role in the occupation? So Eisenhower, Eisenhower was the secular, supreme allied commander of Europe. Mm -hmm. So he lived in Paris, which is where they had Schaeff, the supreme allied headquarters of Europe. Okay. Supreme allied headquarters of European forces, Schaeff. Okay. Um, and France, of course, was devastated. The Low Countries were devastated. And uh, Truman, who had succeeded to the presidency after Roosevelt's death in April, and Attlee... Before the war was over. Yeah. Right, because he ends it... He's there, but even before the German... Um, the German surrender. Yeah. So FDR doesn't see the German surrender. Right. And FDR dies of... Uh, he had a cerebral hemorrhage. Like a stroke? Yeah. Okay. So... Um, Under auspicious... Was it in his sleep? He was, he was awake. Was because he, he said he had a headache and then he passed out and then he died. Similar... I mean, Stalin died of a stroke too, right? Pretty much, But in yeah. his sleep. But Stalin was... You know, Stalin died nine years later. Who... And... But... Roosevelt wasn't in good physical shape. I think Roosevelt must have been a wreck. Okay. So, um, they had to end the war with Japan. So that was, that was on their minds. Not so much Eisenhower, because Eisenhower had the reconstruction of Europe to deal with, feeding all those people. And once we dropped the atom bombs, on the Japanese and ended the Second World War. Uh, they had to figure out what to do with Poland 
or to do with the other countries between, say, Germany. As far as redrawing the map. As far as redrawing the map. <coughs> and the Soviet government was very interested in expanding communism to the Atlantic. Truman and Attlee, who was the British Prime Minister who succeeded Churchill, obviously weren't into that. Eisenhower was a staunch anti-communist. I mean, he was old enough to remember the communist revolution and uh, opposed Bolshevism and communism. But we really wanted to have a joint occupation of the Axis countries. We wanted Russia to recover. And we were very, very preoccupied with feeding the tens of millions of starved and unhoused Europeans. So the situation developed... How preoccupied was Stalin with feeding the Germans? I don't think he cared. I think Stalin was basically looting Germany. Okay. Uh, and, and what about... Was I guess what about Churchill? Churchill was out of power. He, he went out of power like in October of 1945. So who, who, who succeeded? Clement Attlee. Atley and Atley, how how what was his concern? Um, Britain was in bad shape. I mean, he, so he was he was he was thing. concerned about the British people not starving or freezing to death in the winter. So it, it, it fell upon us to have this kind of humanitarian concern much. for the Germans, pretty much, okay. and and everybody else. I mean, it wasn't just Germany. Norway was destroyed. Denmark was destroyed. Poland. Poland we couldn't get to, but we, we were concerned about it because it was Poland was really wrecked. Poland had the highest per capita casualties in the Second World War. Okay. And you know, you see some of these movies, some of these fictional representations of the way the Germans fought in Warsaw. Mm -hmm. You know, one of them um, it had an actor named O'Toole, I can't think of his Peter O'Toole playing a German general and he just commanded his men to come out with flamethrowers and just march down the block with flamethrowers and just burn up everything. And that was pretty much almost as bad as the way the Germans actually did. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what, what, f go ahead and finish up on the occupation. So we had, are, we had, we had, Eisenhower's to, we had to recover the responsibilities bodies. And what, how does he transition to post war um, in those next, what, what is it, basically six years before he's elected president? Okay. How does he move back into the domestic we, scene? And how we, we, we had to recover the bodies of the people who were killed, of our men who were killed. Okay. Uh, which is a difficult, wide-ranging thing, you know, because you got to figure out where they are and yeah. get permission to go on the property and all that. Uh, they had to feed all those people. Right. They had to maintain the forces. There was a civil war going on in Greece between the communists and the anti-communists, which we were engaged in. Okay. Uh, communists were very strong in Paris uh, and in Italy, so they had to deal with that. Um, but communists, at least Soviet Union at this time, is seen as an ally, not an enemy. Well, that 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 was kind of like until about 1948. Okay. So by 1948, things were getting very tense with them. This is when we had the, the Berlin airlift. And the uh, 
Russians closed off land access to the British, French, and American sectors of, of occupied Berlin. Mm-hmm. And we had to fly everything in to feed our people there and to feed the German Berliners, you know, the civilians there. Uh, when does Yalta, when did Yalta happen? Yalta happened when Roosevelt was still alive. That was in 1944. That was before um, the end of the war. Yes. But they saw themselves as now in command? Who? Like as far as in command of the war offensive, like they felt happy about the ch- their chances? Well, Roosevelt was concerned with getting Soviet assistance to finish off the Japanese after they finished off the Germans. It was pretty clear <coughs> Germany was on its last legs. Okay. They had to deal with Japan. And he didn't necessarily know about the atomic bomb because it hadn't been tested by then. So he wanted to get commitment from Stalin to send Russian forces to the Far East and fight the Japanese. When Truman and Attlee came to Potsdam, the war was over. We had been victorious. We had deployed the atomic bomb, destroyed two Japanese cities, and they wanted to settle things so that Poland would be independent, Czechoslovakia, 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 Romania, all those countries would resume normal life. But those countries had all been either fascist or Poland was Poland was fascist, but they weren't pro-Axis because Hitler hated them so much. Uh, so they didn't want to reestablish fascist regimes in those countries. So they thought they had to work with the Russians. So it was a, a very touch and go touch and go kind of thing because and also Stalin is more seasoned than Truman or Atlee. Stalin had been through the whole thing. So he knew what, you know, where all the bodies were buried. He had the prestige of having won the war. He had prestige in the West and of course he had enormous prestige among the Soviet peoples. So Truman and Atlee weren't really uh, a match for Stalin. Eisenhower was so engaged in military affairs, he's just beginning to learn about civil administration. So he uh, learned, he cuts his teeth on civil administration in the rebuilding of Europe. Yes. Okay. And diplomacy, even though, you know, he had been uh, kind of practicing diplomacy on a military basis, coalition military command. So, um, is he a giant celebrity at this point? He was, he was quiet because he didn't want to undercut Truman. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to make political statements. The Republicans and the Democrats both tried to recruit him as their candidate in 1948. In 48 against Truman. Well, Truman didn't take it well. You know, Eisenhower quickly told the Democrats, no... And probably... Truman was a Democrat. Yes. So it was going to be a primary challenge. It wouldn't have been... They didn't have primaries back then the way they do now. So what would it have been? It would have been the Democratic leaders. Or would it have just been Truman saying... It just been them saying, well, Truman, you were only a fill-in after Roosevelt dies. This is our real guy, Eisenhower. Right. So, So, you know, pretty much this is probably why the Democrats couldn't recruit Eisenhower, because he wasn't going to turn on his commander in chief. 
Was Eisenhower spending more time back in D.C. by this point rather than being in the No, he's in Paris. So they wanted to bring him from Paris to run for president in 48? Yeah. And really you had to run in 47. Because the election... Oh, no, the election was in 48. 48. Right, right, right. So, uh, in any case, he he refused the Democrats pretty pretty quick. Um, He refused the Republicans pretty much for the same reason. Who did the Republicans run in 48? Dewey. Again, yeah, he this ran the in one where, where Truman has the newspaper. Yes. Okay. And uh, Roosevelt or um, Eisenhower left the army in '49, and became the president of Columbia University. Okay, so how does he leave the army in '49? Who takes over? What did he just says? I'm done. I'm retiring. Yeah, he retired. I don't. I don't recall who who. Succeeded over. him. Okay. Uh, it might have been Bradley. Okay. You know, probably. I mean, Bradley seems to be the one who would have been the logical one. Okay. So, um, but he left the army. Let it, let it ring. Give me a minute. Call some wireless callers. So he left the army. 